Hello and welcome to the 111th episode of the You Thought Sports Podcast. I am podcasting alongside the entire usual crew, Lucas, Aiden, Bart, and Wyatt. We got a pretty jam-packed episode, so let's get right into it with some news we missed. Uh, my favorite, my, maybe my favorite story, Bob Stoops valiantly led the Oklahoma Sooners, uh, Sooners to a bowl win over the mighty Oregon Ducks. Since retiring from coaching, Bob Stoops now has the same number of bowl wins as Lincoln Riley does, which is uh, pretty funny, I thought. The Mike McCarthy of college football. I'll say it again. Yeah. <laughs> Underwhelming, Lincoln Riley. <laughs> there wasn't as much enthusiasm for this topic on the when we were preparing for the show, but if I had to think of the top coaches in college football where all things being equal – Central Michigan, Eastern Michigan, Northern Michigan State, they're all recruiting me. <laughs> Bob Stoops is the top coach I want to play for. Dabo Sweeney's no, sec- really Dabo Sweeney's second. I just love the way Bob Stoops talks about Oklahoma, the way he talks about the way his player the way he talks to his players, the way he carries himself. I think I would run through a a brick wall for him if I were one of his players. That being said, Caleb Williams is not one of those players. He entered the transfer portal. <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma is is still an option. I mean, Bob Stoops isn't coaching him, but Oklahoma is still an option, uh, but he's entered the transfer portal, so let's see. I, and uh, apparently the, the early buzz is that USC is the front runner, so um, I hope that doesn't happen, Shocker. but we'll see. I don't I yeah, I don't blame <laughs> yeah. him though. I mean, I mean, I don't blame him, but I don't Oklahoma I don't want to see Lincoln place. Riley get that. But that's fine. Why not? Um, he already had it. Because we play them every year. <laughs> so, um, other college NFL news. This is the transition right here. There's momentum gaining for the Raiders or Bears to lure Jim Harbaugh away from Michigan, which is very interesting after the great season he just had. But maybe the, demor- the demoralizing loss, just maybe he thinks there's no shot there anymore. I don't know. But uh, I think it that's well, sort of. Oh, go ahead. Why? I say we know one thing is that regardless of whatever contract they offer him or that he has, it doesn't matter. So they could just pull him whenever he wants, yeah. whenever he wants to go. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And as um, Brian Kelly energy to me, like he might've like reached his peak in Michigan and now he's going to like cash in on a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like before this, he would have been viewed as a failure at Michigan and like right. less so now. And so he's probably feels yeah. a bit freed. He's leaving on a high, which is good. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, but it's your, it's your alma mater. I don't know. Do you do you do your alma mater twice? I feel like that doesn't happen. Is he so stuck there know. forever? Yeah. So you got to die the Michigan after the, after, yeah. But you don't after get two chances. I don't feel like you don't get two chances at it. I don't know. Um, transitioning pretty fully into our NFL news. After the Eagles won, some fans knocked over part of the stands near the tunnel, right in front of Jalen Hurts as he was going into the tunnel. But Hurts, a man of the people. Responded by taking pictures with the fans, asking if they were okay. Apparently, he was the only one that asked if they were okay. Washington football team, medical personnel did not check on them. Uh, Hertz later penned a letter asking what the NFL and Washington football team were going to do to address the issue as well. So kind of making it a big deal, actually, <laughs> which I think is interesting. It is one of the worst built stadiums, though, in the NFL. <laughs> I think I think week after week, there is another. there was like scissors on the field. One time, yeah, there was uh, like a week ago. Yeah, it was like two, a week, two weeks ago. ago. <laughs> there were scissors on the field, and repeatedly there are more issues with FedEx Stadium than any other stadium. Also, yeah. it's not in the notes right now, but the Washington Football Team may not be the Washington Football Team for much longer. On February second, oh. they're going to announce a new team name. Those Whether were in the notes, and I had a great transition. <laughs> uh, <okay>. But <laughs> I don't, I don't have them in my notes. They, yeah, they they weren't in the the early edition. <clears throat> 
But yeah, thank you, Wyatt. That's that's very true. We'll see we'll see what happens on February second. No, oh, no, I was gonna say it reminds me of the meme. Uh, it's an F one meme a lot. I think it's like from Top Gear or something where somebody's like, "Oh no!" Anyway, completely <laughs> switches. This is what it reminds me of. The Washington football team just always distracts from whatever's going on. They're like, "Oh, but look at all this! Look at this! What we're doing? We're bringing our our benches." Whatever. It's so stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> another pretty funny NFL story. Maybe sad at the same time. Antonio Brown <laughs> Brown uh, quit the Bucks mid-game. Uh, I think most people probably have seen the video by now. He took off his shirt, took off his pads, threw, threw his shirt and his gloves into the stands, gave a peace sign, and walked out, tried to Uber himself to the airport or something, but apparently he needed a police, es- he needed a police escort or something. Uh, the the me- I don't really go on Twitter that much, but the memesters had a field day with this one, and there was some pretty funny stuff up there. I, I saw... A tweet talking about how Antonio Brown was was paying tribute to Madden by rage quitting while getting beat <laughs> by an inferior opponent. Uh, another one I liked. Uh, I'm a fan of the show Impractical Jokers, and there was a tweet where it was a picture of the the crew. They were like, "Hey, AB, take your shirt off and just walk out." And then they showed the video, and the the Jokers were like laughing. It's a picture of the Jokers laughing. It was really funny. <laughs> but uh, some more news about like our favorite teams' coaches that I thought was funny. Joe Judge. <laughs> went on a 10-minute rant on how former Giants players wish they were on the team this year despite the fact that they're getting paid more elsewhere as well, uh-huh. which I thought was pretty funny. Do you have a response, Wyatt? It, no. Well, <laughs> I, I said it. Unless it's prime Lawrence Taylor, I don't care at all. And I, Joe Judge is like, it's almost like he's selling himself back to the fans now where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, people want to play here, you know? Yeah. And a lot of people get texts from their exes, and it never works out for them either. So sometimes people just say random stuff. You know, that's what I would do if I were the NFL. I would text other teammates and be like, "Man, I wish I was there," and then go win the Super Bowl or something. Like that. <laughs> no players leave. Like, who who could it be? Some special teamer? Because it's not Odell. It's not Odell. I saw some tweet where they like narrowed it down to like six possible suspects. They were like, "Okay, who was on the Giants last year that wasn't on there this year?" Who, like, is getting paid more than they probably were last year. And then who, like, might want it. And they narrowed it down to, like, six possible players. I forget who they were. I thought that was funny. And nobody, really. <laughs> and then lastly, to somehow get everybody's NFL's teams mentioned here, uh, I saw this funny press conference from, from Mike Zimmer after the game. Uh, a reporter asked him, do you want to see Kellen Mond next game? He said, not particularly. That's all they said. And then they were like, uh, they said, why not? And he said, I see him every day. <laughs> and uh, that just cracked me up. It was brutal. Really funny. <laughs> it's brutal. It's an, uh, an indictment of their drafting. Yeah. Anyway. And finally, um, we'll kind of use this to transition into some, some more in-depth topics, but Kirk Herbstreet ruffled some feathers this week when he said that this generation of college football just doesn't love football. I'm told Wyatt and Lucas particularly want to tee off on this take. The floor is yours. Lucas, you want to take it first? Yeah, sure, why not? I mean, this is like a galaxy brain bad take <laughs> from Kirk. And I think I generally like him. I think he's a good um, commentator. Um, but that being said, he's gotten some like bad takes recently. There's the Snyder remarks about Cincinnati, and now there's this, like, Players love the game so much, they want to get paid to do it, and taking one game off like shouldn't impact whether somebody loves the game or not. And it's always the bowl games, two games, which 
are kind of made less meaningful by ESPN, who Kirk Herbstreit works for, because they just don't promote them ever, so it makes them seem less important. But, I don't know, players get the chance to support their family for the rest of their life, and sitting out one game, I feel like, is a fair sort of, like, thing to do if you have that opportunity. Like, especially when, what can happen to Jalen Smith happened a few years back, or what happened to Matt Corral this weekend. So, like, I don't know. It was an ankle sprain. We'll see, <laughs> you know. No, it I'm looked worse kidding. at the I'm time. Well, it was um, a sprain, but... Yeah, but been. plus, like, where's that energy for Brian Kelly? Like, does Brian Kelly not love the game because he, like, got up and left, Rolling like, before the bowl game? Like, in Riley? Yeah. I don't know. That's my take. It's, like, not too deep, but I think it's a bad take. It is a bad take, and I would buy this take if the power, if college football wasn't a $4 billion industry and coaches weren't being paid 9 to $5 million a year. Like, this wasn't one of the biggest industries in the world. And I just don't understand why there are so many commentators. It's just it's not just Kirk Herbstreit, but there are so many commentators that are so anti-player, um, and everything about the NCAA is about complete control of the college athletes and their ability to do whatever they hell, the hell they want to. God forbid a kid wants to go and not play in a corporate sellout bowl in a, in exchange for generational type wealth, like Lucas said. You know, and essentially what Kirk, Kirk Herbstreit is saying is that the glory of the roofclaim.com bowl is worth more than a life-changing million-dollar contract you get as a first-round pick. Because Jalen Smith got missed out on, I think the tweet said, $18 million, and then let alone whatever other money he could have made if, if his career wasn't affected. I just think it's, why, let the kids just do whatever they want to. They're not even kids, they're adults, they're 22 years old. Let them do whatever they want to. Yeah, it's also not really saying anything new, but... Um, the schools also show how much they care about the bulls and that when they hire a new coach, they're not, they're not getting them to prepare for the bowl game. They're out, they're like, get out mm-hmm. and recruit right now. You know what I mean? Nobody cares about the bulls. doesn't matter who it is. So speaking of bulls that nobody cares about, um, it's a well-known fact that being a Notre Dame fan is, is pretty bad for your mental health, potentially your physical health. And this was epitomized by Notre Dame's epic second half collapse in the Fiesta Bowl where we blew a 21 point lead and let Oklahoma State just put up 30 unanswered points on us. Lucas, what do you make of Marcus Freeman's debut and the state of the program going forward? I'm a little concerned about this performance, and I think I'm still like positive on Freeman and going forward in the long term. I think this game showed that there might be some pretty significant growing pains as Freeman gets adjusted to the head coaching job. He's young, and it's his first head coaching gig, and I don't think we necessarily focused on that enough when he was hired. Like I think we were all wildly optimistic, but like, there's going to naturally be some struggles the first time you're ever coaching as a head coach, and especially when it's at such a high-profile job as Notre Dame. Um, and overall, I think the prep for this game and the in-game coaching outside of the first half was pretty poor. First, preparation for the game. I don't know if it was all there. As recently as two or three weeks ago, Freeman was asked um, who was calling defensive plays, and he said he didn't know, uh, focusing on recruiting at that time. Um, and I think... That shows just sort of maybe a lack of commitment to the bowl game itself. Like, there's all this talk of finishing right for the seniors, but if you don't even know, like, who's leading the defense a few weeks going in, I think that shows that you're not committed. And, you know, there are tons of reasons for why you might want to do that. You're looking forward to next year. But it would have been a huge moral victory for Notre Dame to win this game after everything, and I just don't think the preparation went into it that was necessary. Especially now, it's still been not in our lifetimes that Notre Dame has won a major bowl game. Um we were all born in 1996 and 1997 for those listening at home. Um, 
So, um, and I know like recruiting is key and important, but I feel like that's what all the focus was on these past few weeks as opposed to getting ready for the game. Um, and I think it showed on the field. And the in-game coaching was pretty poor too. And this isn't all on Freeman. This is a lot on Tommy Reese too, I think. Uh, the game plan in the first half was great and it worked well, but once OSU adjusted, Notre Dame made no adjustments in return. The offense was rudderless in the second half, and once Oklahoma State figured out that Notre Dame was just going to air it out, Jack Cullen threw it 68 times in the Fiesta Bowl, which is an ungodly number. Um, and I think, yeah, again, like Tommy Reese has to be to blame here. Like when OSU figured out that they were just going to throw it, they adjusted their defense, and Reese didn't adjust back. And there were no defensive adjustments either. They didn't account for Spencer Sanders running once he started to do that. And they left Clarence Lewis, the cornerback, on an island, like, the entire time, and they just kept picking on him over and over and over again. So, overall, I think what I expected would be a pretty seamless transition from Kelly. I don't think it's going to necessarily be that. I think Freeman will be a good coach in the long term, but I worry that this game showed that there are going to be some pretty significant growing pains over the next year. Like, I think opening next year, Notre Dame's corners and secondary is going to get shredded by Ohio State, looking at how well Ohio State can throw the ball like, all this year and in the Rose Bowl. Um, And again, like, recruiting is important, and I'm glad that, you know, we have top classes going into the next few years, but you have to effectively be able to coach a game once you have those good players and coach a team. And I think it might take a little bit longer for Freeman to grow into that role, even if he's now a great recruiter. And we forget how, like, the defense was really bad for Notre Dame the first few games of this year. And, like, he made adjustments and he figured it out, and by the end of the year, it was playing, like, top 10 defense. But I think we will probably see something similar for the team as a whole next year, just as he grows into and learns the role. Like, being 35 and your first head coach and you're old, that takes some time and adjustment, and I think next year will probably be a growing pains year, especially without the continuity of Kelly being there for 12 years or whatever it was. Yeah, I agree with most of those points. Um, I also would add, well, okay, on the offensive side, I don't know what Tommy Reese was supposed to do because we couldn't run the we couldn't run the ball even if we tried. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a reflection on the deterioration of our offensive line this year. I don't know, like we kinda got it together towards the second half of the year, but um I'm really worried about if you can't control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, I would say we can do it pretty well in defense, but on offense we can't, then you're not gonna win that many football games against other good teams that have a lot of four-star recruits on their team and some five-stars, right? That's what I'm worried about going into the next season, so I'm fine that we we focus a little bit more on recruiting. Like I said, I would have loved to win a New Year's Six Bowl, but at the end of the day, nobody cares about those bowls anyway, so who cares? Um, I don't think that's necessarily No, true. that is true. That's what We just talked about it, that, that nobody cares about the bowls. No, the coaches think, don't care about it, the schools don't care well, about it. I mean, it, it's one thing to talk generally. It. I think specifically in this instance, like, it would have done so much for the perception of Notre Dame as like the loser program. If they could finally win one, I think that's not worth. I think it didn't do anything. Noting. It didn't do anything for us when we beat Clemson last year. That wasn't a a bowl game. Yeah, like, but it's, it's, it it's just matter. a label. It's just a label at that point. Yeah, and the label continues, and players want to play there less if they're like, "Oh, this is a big loser." Maybe big I don't know. Yeah, I, I would love to see how much that affects. Oh, they haven't won a. We haven't won a BCS. That's New Year's Six Bowl. I'm not going to play there. I would love to see how much that actually affects people's perceptions, but I think it's a fun media stat more than anything, personally. And I think that it being Freeman's first game kind of gives it a free pass kind of energy. Like, obviously, after it, I think everyone was pretty pissed, especially given that it was a blown lead, but I think they'll kind of get over it and it can be written off as 
hey, it's his first game kind of thing. He was thrown in there. Whereas if this was under Kelly and they lost this game, it would I feel like the narrative would have been a bit more like Notre Dame keeps losing these big games, which they definitely did here. Um, but I feel like it would have been a more prevalent narrative if it was not Marcus Freeman's first game. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay, follow up here. When So when Cincinnati lost um, before this game, Notre Dame fans and former players, uh, no, notably Drew Tranquil is the example I saw, reacted by saying Notre Dame would have fared better, the entire country knew it, and there's an agenda slash bias against Notre Dame, essentially. Lucas, so Lucas basically says, this shows that Notre Dame insiders and fans have a small school mentality. Do you, do you want to elaborate on that, Lucas, and then we can kind of see if we agree or not on it? I did. I have like a page of notes wow, okay. <laughs> to elaborate on it. Um, but I think Notre Dame fans don't want to take responsibility for their team's failures and are more comfortable just blaming an agenda or the refs or whatever for the team's failures. I don't think small school mentality was really the right word, um, but I think it's just like an entitled mentality that encourages sort of a lack of accountability because Notre Dame and Notre Dame fans, I think Notre Dame fans, I'm not going to blame the team on this because I don't think it's the same with that, but I think Notre Dame fans like, don't see the team's failures as, like, their own. They see it as, it's the affordable of an agenda, or the refs, or just, like, other biases against them. And there's just no basis to any of these claims. First, like, the idea that there's an agenda against Notre Dame. I love Notre Dame football and Notre Dame to death. Obviously, we all know that. But, like, there are absolutely systemic biases against schools in college football, like Cincinnati and all the group of five schools, but Notre Dame is not one of those schools. The fact that we made the college football playoff last year, despite having like very few wins, getting blown out by Clemson in the ACC. Very few wins. Game. Very few good wins. Okay. Sorry. Clarifying. Getting blown out by Clemson in the ACC title game and still made it in over an undefeated Cincinnati over a Texas A&M team with better wins who had the same record, I think shows that there's not a bias against Notre Dame. Plus, like, where is any of the logic in seeing that Notre Dame would have played Bama better than Cincinnati and blaming an agenda on us not getting in? Cincinnati beat Notre Dame this year. Like, that should be evidence alone, but Notre Dame lost by a nearly identical margin to Bama in the playoff last year. Like, I think that is further evidence that, like, like this is just not a good argument that, like, Notre Dame would have played them better. I think I might have, like, termed this small school mentality um, because it's not what the legit big schools do. When Bama or Clemson or Ohio State or Oklahoma make the playoff or, or don't make the playoff or lose a big game, they don't blame everything. Uh, on being like on factors against them they don't blame their t- they don't say like stuff like our academic standards are t- too high which Notre Dame fans love to throw out it's because there the are time. no academic standards at Bama <laughs> no it's because Notre Dame fans <laughs> like to be self-congratulating I think that like the whole like our academic standards are too high is just such a self-congratulation thing USC has high academic standards and won a title in the last 20 years UT Austin has high academic standards and won a title in the last 20 years Bama and LSU and Ohio State are good schools, and I it, the argument is elitist from Notre Dame fans. Like, well, <laughs> our school is too good for us to be good at football, and I hate it. Um, you just got to work to make your program like those schools and pl- play like those schools do. And like, but Bama every year has the narrative that people doubt them, um, which is wrong, obviously. But that's a much better <laughs> way of looking at it than they're biased against us because one motivates you to play better, and the other is just an excuse. Um, and it's right again. It's like completely different, or a completely different narrative. If you're sincere UCF or Utah or back, you know when they were not Power Five or Boise State, then there is a perfectly legitimate argument that the system is biased against you. But Notre Dame's complaining just has the energy of somebody who like grew up super wealthy, 
and went to Harvard and then like doesn't get hired for one job and then complains that like the world is against them. Like that's what it feels like to me. And it's kind of frustrating that I feel like it's like it's very clear the playoff committee loves us. When we lose games, they keep us high. Like when we lost to Georgia in 2017 and then we're ranked in the top four throughout the rest of the season despite no more good wins and then got blown out by Miami. Like there's just no basis a lot of times for what happens. And I want to see Notre Dame succeed. And part of what I think holds it back is like the way fans treat the program. Again, I don't think this is the case for like the, co- the players and the coaches, but the way fans see the program sometimes frustrates me. Do you think the way fans see the program actually holds us back, though? Holds the team itself back? Or is it just something that's, like, it's annoying? Yes, and, I mean, like, perception always is key. Like, there's going to be public pressure on the university for whatever reason if fans have certain expectations and boosters have certain expectations and do things like, at the end of the day, I don't think it's, like, the decisive factor in Notre Dame being good or not, but I think it forces a pressure on the school that is probably gets in the players' heads, gets in the coaches' heads maybe forces administration to make moves they might not otherwise have made. Like, again, I don't think it's the consequential factor, but I think it's important. And I think it's frustrating because I don't think the players or the coaches generally see it this way. I think it's a lot of the times just the fans. Mm. Well, I think, I think like you, you do bring a lot of good points, but I, I, one thing I will say, though, is sure, maybe you don't want to use the academ- academic standards argument, but a school like USC or Texas or other schools that have good um, academics, first off, they're, they're either like a big state school or a big private school. Like they're all like over 40,000 enrollment, which Notre Dame does not have. USC, 44,000. UT Austin, I'm sure, is over 40,000. Like I think that is a, a part of Notre Dame's fabric that works against it a lot. And that's not going to change, most likely. And it's just it's a it's a reality. Like it's not it's not a it's not like a agenda. It's just a reality. But whose fault I mean, is I, that, Jared? <laughs> what? Other, other than the school itself, whose fault is that? Yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm saying. Okay, well, I mean that that doesn't mean though that it's not a challenge that is unique to Notre Dame that other schools don't face. Are Notre Dame's like academic standards that much higher than like? anywhere else like that's, there's yeah, no but, way that's okay, true well, but we only but the enrollment in terms of like the enrollment and how many well, what kids does the enrollment school, matter because it's how many how many kids the school lets in and how selective so? the school is but are they using fewer scholarships yeah like i don't i think enrollment is like a complete non-factor here like if usc lets in 20 percent of students in Notre Dame also lets in 20 percent of the students it doesn't matter because it's the same selectivity you yeah, know i'd have to look into it more I think it. I think it does. I think it. Do, it is a factor, though. There's like when was the last time a small school, like Wake Forest, was the smallest? Is the smallest like D one school? When have they done anything? Like, when is the last time a small school won a national championship? There must be some correlation in football. Yeah, in football, there must be a correlation. I mean, but Notre Dame, like, you're looking at it as like a completely blank slate. Like Notre Dame is Notre Dame. Like, there's yeah. a difference. Between Notre Dame and Wake Forest. Like, one has traditional appeal and has been consistently good at football. Mm-hmm. I think that's different. Okay, yeah, maybe Wake Forest isn't the best example, but, like, I don't think small schools win win in football, usually. And that's something that Notre Dame they, overcomes. They don't, but a lot of times the schools that win are big state schools, and that's because they, they have that name brand in the first place. I mean, we have, like, Clemson. I think their enrollment's, like, I don't know, 20,000 20, students or so. Um, and they're not a huge school, but they kind of built a program. 
Yeah. Like, I don't. Know. I think it's. I think it's just an easy cop out answer to explain away stuff. Like Notre Dame's always been a, a selective school and won eleven national championships before. Like, you know, you can't blame it just on that. Yeah, I'm just not convinced that the bar is that. I'm not convinced that Notre Dame's turning away great recruits because of their academic <clears throat> records. Though, I mean, maybe that's untrue. Although yeah, one, one concrete thing that I do think actually exists is they make it really hard for transfers to transfer in. Mm. Uh, that's like a known mm-hmm. thing, which now with the portal opening up so much, it might actually make a difference. Mm. But uh, that's not quite the same thing. Yeah. That's a good point, though. I didn't actually know that they made it so difficult to transfer. Yeah. Yeah, like apparently they're perspective, Bart. They like, yeah, like it's notoriously difficult to transfer to Notre Dame as a, just like even as a regular student, mm. apparently. And then when you add <laughs> athletics on top of it, it's like, oh, I don't know. This is just what I read online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's something that's only getting that? bigger. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the NCAA is not making it hard for them to get into. Okay, but the, the school doesn't have to yeah, compromise no, everything. The school doesn't have to compromise their academic mission for football. Okay, then keep losing in bowl games. What's the complaint there? Then you just can't <laughs> complain about it. You can't have your cake. We can as a fan. You can't be we this can independent, prestigious academia college <laughs> and then also win national championships all the time. You know. Can't do everything your own way, and then be like, "Well, we." Yeah, did. look at Vanderbilt, Lucas. When was the last time they did something? <laughs> <laughs> when's the last time Vanderbilt did anything? When's ever? the last like, time? They... When's the last time Harvard won a national championship? <laughs> Tell me that. Uh, they probably have more national championships than LSU does in their history. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. Some, yeah, as we've kind of talked about, some of these like large state schools that do win titles are really hard to get into for a normal, you know, person. Yeah. Like Georgia or UT <laughs> For a normal Austin. person? Um, yeah. So I, I like. What do you mean, normal person? Like just a like a person applying to college. Like a person okay. who doesn't have anything special about them is just kind of going to be a student there. Um, so Nothing special about them. <laughs> yeah, I know, that's why it's okay, There's us, you know, us students who went to you know nothing special about us. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Nothing special except we're elitists. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Okay. Harvard has seven national championships. I don't know what you're Wait, talking. What? About, <laughs> yeah. When was the last time? Was it? Was there yeah. a one nine in front of it after or a two zero? <laughs> if there's a one eight in front of it, after, I don't after, count. After 1906, four national championships. Okay. All right. okay what about? After 1910, 1930. 1930. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. World War, post World War Two, <laughs> post World War Two zero, post post Great Depression zero. Yeah, they were one but, of three schools at the time, I think. Yes. Here's another thing, though. When was the last time a northern school other than Ohio State won a national championship? Mm. That's a good it was one. probably maybe before 2000. That's another thing yeah, that probably I think Nebraska. A, yeah, that was like in the nineties. I don't know. Yeah. That's another thing that gets overlooked. There. I think too. Is that <laughs> that's a good point. What'd you say? What? <laughs> Notre Dame chose... chose to build the school. Nobody forced them to found it in Indiana. That's true. It wouldn't be Notre Dame Duloc though yeah. without without them. Well, there are, there are there lakes in the south. Elsewhere. I don't know. I think there's a lot of excuse making. Also, we talked about 15 minutes for the academic standards thing, too, which yeah. is a valid conversation to have, I guess, but still. It will come back again. Um, <laughs> let's go to another college football segment here, though. We've talked about this before. Uh, it's becoming pretty increasingly evident that the current college football playoff model mm-hmm. isn't working. Only three semifinal games have been close. 
there's been a lot of proposed solutions in the wake of the semifinal games. Some new ones that I hadn't heard was giving teams less time to prepare will will lend itself to a more competitive game. There's also been arguments for both expanding and contracting the playoffs that have been used to make the postseason more interesting. Bart, what do you think of some of those suggestions? What's the answer here to making college football more interesting? I think it's a really hard question. I do agree we can start with the playoffs, with playoff-specific solutions. I like the idea of starting them sooner after the season ends. I think it makes sense because it just feels intuitively like the better teams benefit more from having more time to prep, right? So I think that's one thing, but I don't know. It's kind of hard to quantify. I also definitely agree that we should expand. I do not want to hear any talk about contracting the playoffs. I think that's like hiding the problem. And but the top two exist. teams are clear. I don't care. I think more, <laughs> more games is beneficial because football can be random enough that I think having just more games and more opportunities for teams like Bama to lose is a good thing. I agree that the blowouts are concerning. The fact that the average def, uh, margin of victory in semifinal games is 21 points is outrageous. But that brings me to my main point, which I think it's more of a fundamental issue than the playoffs. I think if you want to talk about fixing in college football, you have to talk about fixing just like parity in the sport overall. Fundamentally, it's broken. I, so I, I think there are, like, I've read a lot of various ideas that you can use to address this. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I don't know which ones are best. Firstly, I think you need rules for NIL because right now it's kind of like a wild west. Anything goes. Obviously, that's going to benefit the big schools and the schools that have more, you know, more money flowing around. Uh, mm -hmm. In that same vein, I think it would do well to cut athletic department spending or, or to limit it because, again, big schools, the schools that you look at in, in college football that are typically near the top are also typically near the top in like school spending on athletics, which seems not great. Uh, you know, you don't want to just be able to pay your way into winning, obviously. Uh, incentivize use of the transfer portal for good players somehow. I think there are a lot of parallels that you, we will see here between how college football is more like European soccer than like the NFL or NBA, where like you don't see movement of good players and you just see like victory concentrated into a handful of teams, right? So I think, for instance, if you incentivize good players to use the transfer portal more and leave schools, I don't know how exactly you could do it, but it would be helpful because like Caleb Williams leaving now, for instance, is huge, uh, assuming he doesn't just go to Bama. Uh, but it would be cool to see like schools actually not get rewarded for being good, but be punished somehow by having their best players leaving. Kind of like in the NFL, a good player would get a nice contract on a new team and leave. Uh, restraining scholarships somehow, I think, is really the, the best way to do this. But, okay, Jared does, doesn't agree. I think there are what? two ways you could approach it, though. Why what? Okay, I don't know. What, what benefit is eliminating free education for somebody that wouldn't get it elsewhere? What, who, like, how is that benefiting a student-athlete? I mean, you can, okay, wait, hold on, hold on. First of all, you could introduce scholarships in other sports, right? Yeah. Okay, so then you as long as, I mean, as, as long as the, the scholarship is not going away, it's being transferred somewhere else, I'm fine with it. But just, I, I don't know, even then though, I, Alabama is playing with the same rules everybody else is, they just do it better than everybody else. So I, I don't know about like punishing scholarship, like taking yeah, but away then, scholarships. I, so I'm you're not, conceding I'm not that parity is not, not worth having. Because I think that's the best way. If you told Bama that you have to use fewer scholarships next year if you win the title this year, I think that would be huge and it would make a lot of sense. For the, if you so, win okay. the championship and you, and you automatically, like if you, if you put a restriction on five-star athletes even, that would be really helpful. And that's not even, that doesn't even like mm. seem seemingly unfair to me. But I think like literally just basing it on your success on your record last year would make a lot of sense. And that way you would see talent actually become more evenly distributed across the country. So where would the uh, scholarships I mean, go? 
Well, that, I mean, I guess the schools could... I didn't get that into it. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems like there are a number of ways you could do it, but I just think, like, yeah, Bama is technically playing by the same rules, but also if you look, like you mentioned this earlier, the recruits coming out of the South far outweigh good recruits coming out of the North. And so it's kind of like a cyclical, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy where Bama's good because they have good recruits from the South, mm-hmm. and then they get more good recruits from the South because they're already good. So if you could limit it somehow, <laughs> it would really help. I don't know how exactly to do it, but I think basically, fundamentally, the issue is that there's not enough distribution and movement of talent in college football. And unless you fix that, you're not really going to fix the college playoff issue. Could you see a system being set up maybe where it's like, if you win 12 games, you get X number of scholarships, and if you win 11 games, you get X number of scholarships, and there's sort of like a scale like that, uh, and yeah. then that way it's not like added or subtracted every year, but it's just like, you know, you hit a milestone, you get this number of scholarships or something like that. Do we want to see teams I, tanking, though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good point. I know, I agree. I, I think that once a team figured mm-hmm. out that they weren't in, you know, in the race for a playoff spot, mm-hmm. they'd be liable to tank, because we've seen that people don't care about bowls, which is totally yeah. the playoffs fault um but yeah maybe they see it happening where teams tank to get recruits because we as we were talking about with marcus freeman i mean he's he's spent i'm sure <laughs> plenty of time over the past couple of weeks recruiting all these coaches leave to go elsewhere because they know the focus is on recruiting rather than bowls so i would have no doubt that recruiting would take precedence over you know getting a good bowl game once the team's out of the playoff race and then I also think we would it would be less likely that we see upsets too if a team's tanking and they're like okay we're playing Bama let's let's uh let's let's just lose this game and get more scholarships next year, you know what I mean? That, that, yeah, but it has tanking ruined professional leagues? Would you say? I would not say. Yeah, I, I'd say the no. Come on. The um yeah the like randomness that happens in college football is much higher. Randomness in, in the playoffs? Surely that's not what you mean. I mean during the regular season though, it's not sure, just but... about the playoff. Uh, okay. Maybe. Debatable. <laughs> I mean, you don't think teams have tanked before in the NBA? Yeah, in college football or what? Oh. No, I'm just talking about like in general. Well, no, I, mean, I, I just don't, I, like, I, I'm fine with that. Like, if you want to get a high draft pick and then try to be good the next year, like, go for it. I mean, if. But. Yeah, I don't think it's also like a widespread problem. I'm with Bart on this. Like, how many tank jobs are there every year in the NBA? I would rather. Yeah, see but there's only, the there's only 32 teams. There's only 30 teams in the NBA. NFL there's 130 in college football. Well, that doesn't that seem like there should be even more parity than there is then? Mm-hmm. No, but that, that, it means tanking would have a, a much bigger effect, be a little more more widespread. And the, and the, and the, in the bigger? NBA, no, because in the NBA. It doesn't matter if you lose one regular season game. In the NFL, it doesn't even matter if you lose one regular season game. In college football, it does. And that's why every game is, that's why every game is important. If You're not going to get the, the Davids beating the Goliaths as often if a team is tanking. It just won't happen. Well, I mean, yeah. okay, if you expanded the playoff, then you kind of still could. Okay, <laughs> but, okay yeah. hold on. But Jared, I feel like you're fundamentally disagreeing. Do you think that there's a better way to fix the playoff problem? No, I don't know. It, it is distribution of talent, but like a lot of those, a lot of those um, solutions are going to have consequences that we don't want to see in the sport. I think. But do you want to see those consequences less than Bama winning every year? I guess I don't really That's care. Fair. Maybe, maybe I'd rather have a more exciting regular season. The bowl games are fun exhibition games. Well, then we should just go back. to The regular Michigan. season is very fun. Yeah, the regular season of college football is very fun. I agree, but I mean, at that point, go back to BCS. Don't even play a title game. Like I'm fine with that. I've yeah, been saying that the whole time. Really? <laughs> no, nah, I'm I'm not totally fine with it. But a lot of times, the top two teams are pretty clear. But I don't know. 
Oh, we I don't know. Know. You could you could probably do it in a way that it wouldn't involve so much tanking if it was like you know the top forty teams or something um, yeah. have this kind of quota versus the top eighty teams or you know like mm. that kind of thing. Whereas it wouldn't make that much difference like tanking one game versus another. And I don't know if it would be a huge issue. Um, I just do think that there would be some incentive or there would be a degree of like mm, if we lose this game, you know we get a slightly better recruiting thing if it's, like, directly tied to your record and whatnot. I don't know. But, but yeah, I, like, I think you're right, Bart, that I don't... I can't really think of a better way to fix the system at the moment. And I think it's... We've had this experiment for, what, is it seven, eight years now of the playoff? Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, and it's the data's pretty clear that <laughs> stuff is a bit lopsided. Uh, so right. I'm not opposed to to trying something like that. I I want to return to Bart's the first suggestion of like moving the playoff up mm-hmm. too to like a week after the regular season. Like I think that not only benefits for the reason he mentioned that like more time to prepare helps the better team, but also just like from an interest standpoint. Like I feel like so often the playoff is just like so divorced from the college football season because it happens like a month after it ends. Like I've almost sort of lost interest by that mm-hmm. point. Like I. College football is, like, my favorite sport. I get so invested in the regular season. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, they're not going to play for a title for a month. So it's like, it almost feels like a separate entity at this point. So I think you'd also, like, garner more interest if, like, you know, next weekend after the conference championship games, maybe give the, like, make that be the first round of the playoffs. And then you can do what you do with the Super Bowl, where there's maybe, like, two weeks off after that for, before the title game. But I just think that, like, not only does it benefit the smaller teams to have, like, less of a turnaround, because then it's just, like, another game, but I think it also just, like, makes the postseason better and more interesting. I I don't buy that argument, actually, because, yes, I get that. Yes, I get that Um, the, the fact that you play every week, like, adds to the volatility of college football. But I don't think the bowl games themselves play out the, play out the narrative that the better team always wins because they have more time to prepare. Like, we, we've seen, like, bowl games, wacky results happen all the time in games that are played in, like, freaking... We might see a wacky result in this game played today, LSU-Kansas well, State. I think that that's different, though, because, like, you talked about, Why? like, it's, like... Because you're not fundamentally all competing for, like, to win a championship anymore. Like, guys opt out. People aren't as invested. This is the so whole you're saying, they don't, this whole so you're saying they don't love college football is what you're saying. I'm saying they love college. <laughs> Shut up. But it's a fundamentally different thing. And I would also say that on average, the better team probably wins more. And the bowl games also have to happen sooner after the regular season ends than the playoffs do. Only like a few bowl games happen after the playoffs do. So you do sort of, sort of get that more rapid turnaround, I think. Yeah. I don't buy it still. We'll see. I don't know if Cincinnati would have been that help that much helped by playing Bama two weeks ago, but maybe not. But I don't know. It's just I think if you expand the playoffs, you increase the more opportunity. I also think that as far as like an overall schedule goes, Alabama and Ohio State and Oregon's and those type of major programs need more parity at the beginning of the season because playing Mercer in Southern Mississippi <laughs> is obviously just like what like nobody. There's no shot. Sorry, there's no shot that Mercer is going to beat Alabama at any point during the entire game, right? So their their schedule is already cupcaked enough throughout the entire season for the point where they'll they'll automatically make it to their conference championship <laughs> game, and they'll pretty much automatically make it into the college football playoffs. I think if you increase the amount of parity that these teams have, where we see Alabama go against a Notre Dame 
and Oregon go against Ohio State like we did this year and those type mm-hmm. of things, then you can increase the possibility that more teams make it in, different teams win the national championship, and so on and so forth. That's good. I like that. And then plus you expand the national cha- or you expand the college football playoffs. You use the New Year's Six bowl games to be the bowl games that are it that are like a part of the expanded playoffs. And you fix your college football problem where now the Rose Bowl is a part of in the Sugar or whatever, or the Orange Bowl or Fiesta Bowl or Peach Bowl, whatever it might be, they're a part of the New Year's the New Year's Six college football playoff, and they're actually important bowl games again. And winning, winning the Rose Bowl is now a big deal. That's not mm-hmm. But I think that teams should be able to force should be forced to play other teams above five hundred. However, you have to make it so that way they don't just pick a cupcake team. But Ohio State has to play Notre Dame next year, and Alabama has to play uh, a team Clemson. You know, sometime at the beginning of the season, something like that. You know, where you increase the chance for more parity. <sighs> during the season rather than just in the playoffs. Imagine if college football did a thing like the NFL where you get uh, your schedule set based on where you end in your division. Yeah, that I mean, there's no, there's no reason to be scheduling games 12 years in advance. I don't get why they do that in college football. <laughs> it's stupid. Yeah. But if they hadn't, Cincinnati wouldn't have played this this year and they wouldn't have gotten in, so... I mean, they, they might have. Who knows? I, you oh, schedule God. it. Wait, what oh, are you talking God. about? What do you mean? The only reason they got in is because they beat us. Because it was literally impossible. No, I know, but why? Why would scheduling like why would doing all the scheduling in December make it so that Notre Dame wouldn't play Cincinnati? They could still play. I suppose that's that's very true. Yeah. Like, anyway, I, I yeah I I like also moving the games up because it would make the rest of the bowl games feel more like exhibition games, which is what they are mm-hmm. and what they were intended to be, rather than like these all important. Just like. A little bit too much importance sometimes putting these bowl games, in my opinion. But um, roofclaim.com bowl it is, is that a real one? A, that's a real bowl. I did okay. not make that up when I said that. It's a real bowl. Okay. <laughs> yeah, what? I kind of want the like CFB to follow the like college basketball model where there's the main tournament and then even like an NIT kind of thing. Where, like, even <laughs> if say it was eight teams, uh, maybe it, this is getting out of hand here. Um, but I wouldn't be opposed to having like the nine through sixteen seeds have their own little secondary tournament or whatnot. Because what I'm mainly interested, like I think that gives more importance to, like the bowl games are one offs and they feel just like you know you win it, you forget about it. Um, whereas if you have a tournament, there's some degree of like a story behind it, and a team makes a run, and then that would make it really interesting going into next year, a team that maybe overachieved and say that secondary tournament. You're like, oh, maybe we. Maybe we misevaluated them or, or whatnot. Um, and so I would kind of like to see that model and that we have, you know, maybe we keep the bowl games for the teams that are, the random teams that are over 500. But <laughs> we have tournaments to kind of get an idea of how good some of these teams are for, you know, the 1 through 8s, the 9 through 16s and whatnot. I like that too. If like the roofclaim.com bowl were like one of the quarterfinals yeah. of the smaller tournament and Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl were like the semifinals or something like that. Like you would keep the idea of like a bowl structure, but like they would just be meshed into like two different tournaments. I think that's a really good well, idea. The roofclaim.com bowl would have been the championship bowl. That's true. <laughs> it would have not been just the exhibition game. Yeah. 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 That's I'd, fair. That's fair. I don't want to dwell on this too long because we do we do need to move on. But it also what there's no way really to though to affect the concentration of high school football players 
that the best players still play in the South. Is there a way to fix that? I don't think there is. No. So. I mean, the South just cares about football too much. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not maybe always, maybe that we, we don't care about it, it enough. The thing is, is that we're, I think we're too focused on hurting the good schools instead of helping the bad ones. And somehow, yeah. some way, they're going to have to find a way to help the bad ones. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Also, if we stop focusing so much on the players that opt out but the players that opt in, it'll be more like a, a spring game with high stakes as, as uh, somewhere that I saw this uh, build. And it's like, all right, what, what, pl- which programs have a bright future? Ohio State clearly does with, with, uh, what's his name, Smith, Smith and Jigba, crazy. But I think that's a fun way to get more invested in these bowls. Is like, sure, it doesn't really, it's not going to give you a, a crazy. I mean, it'll give you a good trophy, but let's see what the future of Ohio State looks like. Let's see what the future of Notre Dame looks like. Like, what, what young players are going to step up? Building those storylines would do ESPN a lot of good. Open good. the next season with the roofclaim.com bowl trophy <laughs> award winning like that whoever wins the roofclaim.com they get their trophy at the beginning of next season just so we were reminded of who the winners are the same way the nba does the rings yeah yeah i don't hate it i don't either <laughs> i want jimmy kimmel to come out again for the jimmy kimmel la, LA yeah, bowl yeah, or yeah. the rnl carriers bowl or whatever yeah, bring, bring an air, aircraft carrier out there Give, give the MVP. Dump an aircraft carrier on the coach. Give the MVP <laughs> of the Jimmy Kimmel, uh, MV, of the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl game, a free truck, and then the NCAA will suspend them next year <laughs> for getting free stuff from somebody. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's how you fix them. <laughs> exactly. All right, we're reviving the bandwagons segment. We haven't done this in a while, but let's completely overact to some of the results of these bowl games. Aiden, what bandwagons are you hopping on or off? Okay, so I'm going to start with what I'm hopping off, diving off. Um, I think Clemson remaining in the ACC long-term, talking about the next three or four years, I'm hopping off. Um, I don't know if it's something that's going to happen next year, but obviously we saw Oklahoma, Texas jump off this year. Um, The ACC had a bad year overall. To be honest, Like the, the teams that were good in the ACC were probably not the teams the ACC wanted to be good. We had Wake Forest, um, Pitt. They were kind of the, the best teams this year. The kind of name brands like Florida State, Miami, um, even Clemson, at least at the beginning, were not kind of the, the, the big deals this year. And we saw them go two and four in bowl games. We had Clemson won, Wake Forest won against Rutgers, who was definitely the original <laughs> opponent in that game, um, earned their way. Uh, but otherwise, stuff was pretty rough. Um, a lot of like some group of five losses, some blowouts, whatnot. And I think Clemson, originally we thought they were down for the count this year, or that was kind of the, the narrative going around. They turned it around and ended up being pretty good, despite having pretty crappy offense. I would not be surprised if they try to get out of the ACC. I think they're going to make less money there. If you look at TV deals, ACC, ACC schools make $17 million a year versus Big Ten make $31 million. SEC make above $40 million per year. Um, I think the ACC within the the public image has decreased from a, a football stance at least, um, and yeah, I, I'm not I'm not convinced that Clemson has any reason to stay if they've shown that they can compete with SEC schools. I don't know where they'll go. Big Ten, SEC is pretty crowded at this point, but I'm sure they're having this discussion. Um, you know, that's my that's my off. Um, my on very quickly is, uh, as I think Lucas alluded to earlier, dumping the bull product on the winning coach. Maybe we'd seen that in earlier years, but I 
did not remember it. And so we had the Duke Mayo, mm. Duke's Mayo Bowl, um, with a cooler full of mayo, the Cheez-It Bowl, cooler full of Cheez-Its. So I, I think we should just come up with some more interesting bowls purely to serve this purpose. Like uh, <laughs> the JP Morgan Bowl, where we dump money <laughs> dump cash. on the coach, and then as soon as someone pockets any of it, the NCAA will vacate the win. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the Exxon Mobil Bowl, some gas. Uh, Morgan <laughs> Pest Control Bowl. Keep the match. Uh, <laughs> the Berkshire Hathaway Bowl, where they're just dumped with a bunch of random objects and no one has any idea what the company does. Uh, but anyway, um, so I'm a fan of that. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea, like, if they had forced, like, you know, the RNL Carriers Bowl to, like, dump a, a whatever RNL Carriers makes on somebody, that was probably not the best one to pick. Or, like, <laughs> Yeah, the Lockheed Martin Bowl, like dumping like jet fighters <laughs> on <laughs> or something. Little, yeah, <laughs> like we can get creative, but <laughs> okay. Wyatt, bandwagons. Start, start my timer. Uh, I'm going with <laughs> on my on. I'm going with wide receivers twos and threes. A couple of years ago, during the national championship, the LSU national championship, Justin Jefferson was highly forgotten as a wide receiver too. He ended up being a fantastic wide receiver. Uh, year after that, there was Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, and he would. They were wide receiver one and two. Devonte Smith went to win the Heisman the next year, and this year, uh, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are the highly touted wide receivers at Ohio State. Jackson Smith and Jobu is one of the better wide receivers that we've seen in a while. Three hundred forty-seven yards. That's incredible. And I'm off on Notre Dame bowl games. I don't want to see them on my TV ever again. I'm tired yeah. of watching them lose. I'm tired okay. of people complaining about it. They're a small school. They at least think like it. So get them off my TV screen. Okay. Why that was 48 seconds. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Wyatt. Wow, well done. Bart? Uh, I just want to give one, which is that I'm jumping off Oregon. I am bearish on Oregon as a program. They got smacked. I'm not confident. They're losing a couple of All-Americans, losing some other older players, and more people are still going to declare for the draft uh, to be determined because that's still an ongoing process. I'm not sold on Dan Lanning or whatever his name is. I suspect that he benefited more from Georgia's recruiting than his own talent. Uh, I think Oregon's own recruiting class next year is awful. Uh, I don't know that their schedule is the easiest thing ever. So uh, well, my bandwagon is that Oregon is not going to be great next year. I'm jumping off. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm not jumping off just Oregon. I'm jumping off the whole Pac-12. No. As a conference. <laughs> the Pac-12 is inching closer to being not even a Power 5 conference. Utah looks good. I'll give them that. They almost took down mighty Ohio State. But outside of the Utes, Conference was awful this bowl season. They haven't won a bowl game in the last two years. In the last two full bowl seasons, they have not won a bowl game. Wazoo lost Tough to Central matchup. Michigan. <laughs> Wazoo <laughs> lost to Central Michigan, who was only there because Texas A&M dropped out. Oregon got pulverized by Oklahoma. Arizona State lost to Wisconsin. They're dreadful. The whole Power 5, Group of 5 thing is stupid, but if it existed, the Pac-12 is closer to Group of 5 than Power 5. Also hopping on the there are not too many bowl games bandwagon. Bowl games are cool. They give smaller schools an opportunity to shine. We all talk about how the playoff has hurt football because there are fewer success stories for small schools, but if you take away the bowls, there are even fewer success stories for small schools. Plus, they can mean a lot to players. There are guys from South Carolina crying when they beat North Carolina at the end of the game on TV. That's pretty cool to see. The problem with bowls isn't so much that they're just like, nobody. the players don't care. It's, and it's because ESPN has made us not care. They don't promote them at all. I think if you put it as a fun exhibition where players get to play their last ever football game, most of them, and get to like come back with a trophy. I think that's a better narrative. 
And then, like you didn't allude to, well, where else are you going to see mayo dumped on a football coach or cheese it's dumped on a football coach? They're mm-hmm. fun. There aren't too many. We should probably stop now, but at this point, I don't think there are too many. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> argument to make that it gives players to shine when they play at 8 a.m. Pacific, but um, <laughs> I've been. <laughs> for- Some of us live in a place where time zones are convenient for all of us, yeah. so it's fine. I've. Uh, I've kind of been jumping on the all things South Carolina bandwagon since we went to Charleston. I'm jumping on the little old Clemson bandwagon. As much hype as South Carolina is getting, people forget Clemson beat them 30 to nothing this season in their last regular season game. <laughs> Clemson's still really good. There's going to be doubters since they're losing some assistance, most notably Venables to Oklahoma. And they did have a bad recruiting class this year. I, I, I won't lie, but they still nabbed a five star. The year before, they had a fifth ranked class. So there's a lot of talent on that roster, thank. Uh, uh, there's a lot of talent on that roster still. And we learned that, like Aiden said, that the ACC is not really that good. So they're going to they're gonna carve through it next year, I think. As much as it pains me to say it, I'm jumping off Washington State's bandwagon specifically. I was pretty high on them after they beat Washington for the first time in a while. And Jake Dickert, he had them 3-1 and one in conference play uh, after he took over, but... I mean, how does how do you let Central Michigan in a bowl they got invited to like two days ago win? It's it's just terrible. So I'm probably gonna jump back on this bandwagon at the start of the year when I hear the reports about how well summer camp is going. But yeah, Central Michigan is a breeding ground for talent. Is it? I've yeah, never. Brian, I don't think Brian, that, that sentence has ever been uttered before. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the first time. Brian Kelly coached there. Abe, Antonio Brown went there. That's. Two people. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's true. Bama could never. They could exactly. never. Yeah. We're going to conclude the segment with our final NFL power rankings of the year, our, sense, our seventh and final time doing it. We're going to start off with Lucas, who is the only person that has never picked the first overall team. So here we go, Lucas. Who is it? The Philadelphia Eagles. Stop. Okay. <laughs> We're not putting that up on Instagram. I, 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 <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm going to pick the Packers. I think it's the easiest number clear, number one choice here. They have the best record in the NFL by two games. Um, Aaron Rodgers looks like he's a favorite to win his second trade MVP. They thoroughly demolished the Vikings. Sorry, Bart, this past weekend. But they showed how good they were on both sides of the ball. Um, what I think helps the most is they take care of the football and they take away the football. They're plus 16 turnover differentials, the best in the league, and makes up for the fact that their offense and defense are merely like top 10 as opposed to top 5. So, Packers are great, winning a lot of games, definitely number 1. Aiden, who's number 2? Uh, I've got the Chiefs at number 2, and I'm sticking by the Chiefs. Uh, coming to last week, they'd won 8 in a row, right? So, the Bengals finally took them down at the last second field goal, but it took historic performances from Jamar Chase slash Joe Burrow to actually make that happen. Uh, so I don't think it's really an embarrassing loss or a, a, you know, a killer for the Chiefs. I have them over the Bengals because I think they've been more consistent through the second half of the season, probably more consistent than everybody else in the NFL. The Bengals have had some weird losses. They got blown out by the Browns and the Chargers. They did lose to the Jets, which, you know, hurts a bit. Um, and the, the Chiefs still look good. Their defense was worrying against the Bengals, especially. Um, in the second half, but overall, you know, they've struggled against Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, some elite QBs, which might hurt them in the in the postseason, but the offense has looked a lot more explosive. Mahomes is at a great second half. I'm still pretty high on them, and I think they're still the favorite in the AFC. 
Yeah, I think that's pretty sound logic there. I got the third pick here. I'm going to go the Bucks here. I know they just kind of had a, a weird week um, with Antonio Brown Great and day. with kind of not really playing that well against a bad team. But I think pretty much every team has faced, like Aiden said, pretty much every team has faced something like that where they have some weird loss or like just weird performance. The other teams I were considering, like the Titans don't have their best player. The Rams also had a pretty like uh, up and down game against the Ravens. So I don't think there's anybody else I could put here other than the Bucks right now. Wyatt, who's number four though? Well, I think that's a bad take because they have nobody anymore. So projecting <laughs> forward, it's going to be hard to, to rank the Bucks. But we'll do a playoff power ranking. Um, I, at number four, it might be overshooting, but I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow has put together two of some of the best football quarterback games that we've seen in the NFL in back-to-back weeks. Um, no other team has really ever put up the point spread that, that they have. They put up 41 points a handful of times. I think that they have an attitude. I think that they have a swag to them. And I think, like Lucas said at the start of the year, I think they have a possibility of being contenders. And uh, I think I said it when Joe Burrow was coming out, is that he just has a ton of swag. And he just has a ton of confidence. He's an accurate quarterback, and he takes a lot of shots. So I think you put those two together. They're a very dangerous team. Um and Jamar Chase, way more touchdowns than Penesol. Got to give it to him. Mm-hmm. Still. Yeah. Still. Still. <laughs> the gap just gets wider every week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they all catch up eventually. Slowly but surely. Bart at five. Who you got? I'm rolling with the Bills. Uh, oh. I, I, oh, is that a hot take? I think no, I, I would. Have they're, they're, I picked them. They were five on my big board, too. Thank you. Thank you. See, yeah, I, so, I mean, I am a little bit concerned by Josh Allen, but I think the flip side of his performance where he threw three interceptions this week was that the team is so good that they still won 29-15, to 15, despite him throwing three interceptions and no touchdowns. So, like, they're a really well-rounded team. They're still the only team that's top five in points scored and points allowed. So, I think that they are, they're going to be fine, uh, assuming Josh Allen doesn't just completely throw any playoff games that they play, which might happen. <laughs> just, I just want to build on the Bills real quick. That I actually am not concerned about Josh Allen. I'm concerned about everybody else but Josh Allen. They're very Josh Allen uh, focused, and their entire offense goes through them. He's like their run and pass game. So I think that that's probably part of the reason why he has he's made a couple of mistakes. I think a lot of quarterbacks also now in today's NFL just throw a lot of picks. I think that's just the way it is. Also, shout out to the AFC East for having the top two teams in terms of point differential in the entire NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pats I stumbled upon that too. Yeah, pretty cool. Number six, Lucas. Who are you going with? I'm going to go with the Rams. I think I doubted it midseason, but they turned around. They've <clears> got some wins against good teams. The Ravens, who I know are have slipped up a little bit in the second half of the season, but also the Cardinals. They have a top ten scoring offense. All that being said, like I, th- I still think six is a fair ranking. I'm a little bit worried about them uh, going into the playoffs just because they have a propensity to play some pretty close games against the Vikings and the Seahawks. And I don't know. But overall, they've got enough talent. OBJ's been a nice addition, and I think six is a fair ranking. Okay, yeah. Aiden, seven? I'm going Titans. I think the Titans kind of fell out of our favor. Uh, last power rankings, at least. But they've kind of recovered from their losing streak with they won the last two weeks against solid teams, the 49ers, a, a streaking 49ers, and a really streaking Dolphins, uh, though we know that they really hadn't played anybody. Um, and now they just need to beat the Texans next week to get the one seed, which definitely gives them an advantage, especially given that Derrick Henry will most likely be back after a bye week um, if they get that bye. 
um, in the playoffs. So I, I think things are kind of looking up for the Titans. A Derrick Henry um, not list Titans uh, is is pretty exciting, I'm sure. Uh, so I think I think they're seventh. Yeah. Okay, I have the eighth pick, and I I don't really know what to do here. There's a lot of good teams. I am going to go. I'm going to go Patriots here. Actually, there you go. I know Mac Jones is limited, but they still can rely on that defense. As you know, the weather keeps getting colder as well. I think it's going to favor defenses. I mean, it kind of already is. Um, and even in like their losses, they they still generally I feel like play pretty well. And uh, I honestly, as much as I like the Cowboys, I didn't like obviously what we saw from this weekend. I still don't really like the Cardinals either. And those are the other double-digit win teams that have not made the rankings yet. So I think I got to go Patriots here, though, at eight. I don't care that, like, the Cowboys beat them in, like, week six or whatever week it was. It was way, it's a different season now, you know? So I'm going, I'm going Cowboys. Or, I mean, I'm going Patriots here at eight. Wyatt, uh, dare I ask, who are you putting here at nine? Well, it's not the Cowboys, and it's the Colts. And I know oh. it, it's, it, look, it's tough. I still think I, I listed Cincinnati. They're the, my most dangerous team in the playoff right now. We'll talk <coughs> more about that next week, I'm sure. But <laughs> Colts would probably be a close number two as far as a team that's not a top three seed, and they're still dangerous. I actually think statistically they still have a chance to win their division, which is really good. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just kind of going off the top of my head. But I think <laughs> they had a tough last-minute loss to the Raiders. It's not like they got blown out. Losing into this week is why I dropped them from my number four pick to my number nine pick this week. And I also was going to give you guys a chance to to maybe correct your wrongs and, and pick the Colts at between the six to nine. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, they, why? They have, they have no chance of winning the division. They're two games back. You never know. You, really <laughs> you never know. Never know. <laughs> so week, they're 0-0 going into next week, so you really never know. Um yeah, I just think they're just as dangerous, and they're going to make the playoffs, and they're going to be a team that you wouldn't want to see at any point. All right, uh, Bart, you are rounding out our top ten. There's, there's some interest. There's a, this is an interesting decision. I think. Who are you going? No, I, I don't even like my. I'm not going to take the Eagles, Lucas. So relax. That's okay. I, I think, despite the fact that they lost to the Cardinals, I'm going to take the Cowboys. No, oh, Why would you do that? I love it. No, Wait. <laughs> What in? Who, who would you take? The Cardinals. No, I, I mean, the Cardinals is seven. I don't. Oh, okay. Well, I, I don't know. I, I had them both basically in the same spot. I, I think if they played again, they would win. I think I, the, <laughs> the Cowboys. Whole knows it. Over the long run, the Cowboys have still been better this year. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it doesn't really make sense. It's a gut pick, but I'm not sold yet that Kyler's back, even though he had a good game. But guess we had a better game, Dak. So I don't know. If you like, the Cowboys took a huge hit in this game on penalty yards. I don't know that that's necessarily indicative of how they would play in another performance. The Cowboys, were, you know what? Maybe I'll just maybe I'll flip. Maybe I'll flip to the Cardinals. I, no. I, I don't know anymore. No, no. <laughs> Stick to your guns. It's fine. Stick to your guns. I, I think they're really evenly matched teams. I mean, a three-point game just now shows that. But yeah, I'm gonna say screw it. Cowboys at ten. There you go. Okay. Yeah, there we go. That that rounds out our top ten. Um, yeah, it's it's getting interesting as we come down to the playoffs. The Cardinals are eleven and five and did not make our top ten. So, um, yeah. When we play off power rank next week and the Eagles are fourth. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Lucas, you had the sixth pick this year, this week. And, uh, no That's Eagles. Okay. I really I thought know. that you would have reached on 
I'm going to up there at, at six. No, I thought about it, but you, you know, know we have to keep some shard of integrity. Every time we do the powers, <laughs> we know what the other person's agenda might be. So we give mm. them the first pick, so it's impossible yeah. for them to actually pick. pick <laughs> one if you pick like three and uh, three and eight, you probably would have slept the Eagles in there. But because you picked yeah, first but... and six, that that's not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Every time. Yeah. See, whenever yeah. I do it, and it's like, oh, the Cowboys had a really good week. There's no way I'm giving Jared like <laughs> I'm making Jared pick fifth at minimum. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. Why and Jared? I've just written in Cowboys and Colts yeah, I, before. I mean, yeah, like I just don't consider other teams because I'm just like <laughs> I know it's gonna be picked. Here. I was tempting on picking the Cowboys at eight, but I I ended up not doing. Can anyone it. admit that they thought about picking the Colts at one of these spots? Like uh, it came across no. their mind as like, at you know, like a breeze. Yeah. I don't even write notes for the Colts anymore because I know you're gonna pick them. <laughs> but will I, pick I, thought, them I, I wasn't surprised to see them at nine or ten, but I wouldn't have picked them at eight. They're dangerous anyway. But I wouldn't have picked a team that lost by three points this past week. Yeah, who could have done that? <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the Raiders; those were. That's <laughs> true. Is it? I got them but who knows what's going to happen next week with a whole new week of NFL, a whole new week of topics, and a whole nother week of us. Go ahead and follow us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We have a lot of content. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>